0: Welcome to the Fright Lab. I'm Lucas Yocum. And with me is everyone's favorite metaphorical demon, Mr. Joseph Wren.
1: And good evening to you, all of you gruesome people. Thanks for listening to the first 10 episodes of this podcast. If this is the first time you've listened to the Fright Lab, you picked a good place to jump on. I don't know about you, this movie followed me out of nowhere. That was an incredibly unsubtle drop, but
0: we'll get to that, <laughs> but we'll get to that here in a moment. So in our last episode, we talked about the power of using a specific time and place in media. Specifically in this case, we were talking about Ty West's The House of the Devil, which is a perhaps excessively loving homage to the horror of the late 70s and early eighties. And if you haven't heard that episode before, you might want to listen to that before you listen to our discussion today. Because today, we're talking about the, I mean, just masterpiece from writer, producer, director, David Robert Mitchell, It Follows. You're not going to believe me, and I need you to remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Whoever you are. Somewhere, walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else.
1: What exactly is supposed to be following you? I don't know. Just pass it along. You believe me, right? Nothing's gonna happen. (laughs) See? Everything's okay. There's something wrong with me. If it kills her, it goes straight down the line whoever started it. It's gonna be here sooner or later.
0: I may as well get this out of the way now. It Follows is not just one of my favorite horror movies. It Follows might be one of my favorite movies, period. This movie is one of the smartest films I've ever seen, and I absolutely cannot be objective about this one, so I am going to try to keep my fanboying down to a minimum, but just know that going in, I am extremely excited to talk about this movie. You call this a masterpiece? I do. I believe this is a masterpiece. And in this unfolding episode, I hope everyone either will agree with me or just not call me a jerk for saying it. So as always, I can hear our listeners now saying, Lucas, you little egomaniac, no one cares about your favorite movie. And you likely shouldn't care terribly much about what my favorite movie is or my personal tastes at all. One thing I want to do with the Fright Lab is encourage listeners to just be better at media critique. Critical thinking about media is a difficult thing at this point in history. I also want to help people break out of a need for, you know, these excessively collegiate views of media. We can talk intelligently about what we think without really relying on, you know, obscurity or explaining obscurity through even more obscure terminology. Before we fall down this rabbit hole too far, I think I need to explain some of the circumstances when I had initially seen this for the first time. Flashback. It's October 2020. We're still dealing with the worst part of the coronavirus pandemic, and I am dead center of the 31 Days of Halloween challenge for that year. And I had just watched The House of the Devil and was getting ready to watch It Follows also for the first time. At that point, I'd been trying to play catch-up for all of the movies that had been recommended to me, but I just never really had a chance to watch. And of all the movies I watched that year, needless to say, uh, It Follows just flattened me. I was deeply impressed with the performances of everyone in the cast, how it had this highly evocative and original score, and the overall just eerie atmosphere of the entire production. On one hand, it was extremely familiar somehow, but I couldn't get my head around how exactly. And on the other hand, the movie struck this nerve in my head the way that only, like, Lucas Feigefeld's Hagazusa or Shane Carruth's Upstream Color had done before. Again, needless to say, I've I've put a lot of thought into this. So when I began planning to write this episode, I had thought about it being a two-parter with The House of the Devil. I felt that they were kind of two sides of the same cinematic coin. But as time went on, and I had been writing about these subjects more, I realized that there's sort of an unintentional funhouse mirrors of each other, actually. There's a single question I want to explore in this episode, but it leads to a boatload of other questions that we'll try to get to in due course of this episode. My question. What year does It Follows take place in? I know that seems like a simple question, but it's really not. And it gets to the core of this movie. That is to say, how it follows actually works. And as always, to answer that question, we need to talk about the plot. And if you haven't seen this before, I should warn you that there are spoilers ahead. This movie is so singular that there's really no way to talk about it without spoiling it just a little. So... I mean, I guess if you haven't seen it, I I don't know. Go watch It Follows and then come back to this episode and we'll talk about it from there. It Follows is a movie about a young woman named Jay. Jay is the very stereotype of the all-American girl next door in her early 20s living in what looks like suburban Michigan. And really, she's just getting her life started. She's about to go on a date with a young man And if the date goes well, maybe go on a second date. And it's that second date where it all goes wrong. After a steamy backseat tryst, Jay is knocked unconscious by her new paramour. As she comes to, she learns the truth of her horrible new reality. Jay is now the target of an entity that will relentlessly hunt her and brutally murder her if she is caught by it. She has only one method of saving herself, albeit temporarily. Have sex with someone, anyone, as soon as possible. That will set this entity onto her most recent sexual partner, and it will have the same parameters as it affected her. But there is a catch. As soon as that partner is killed by this entity, it will resume hunting Jay. And if it gets Jay, it will resume chasing her would-be boyfriend and so on, presumably back to the original victim of this curse. So, to recap, It Follows is essentially about a sexually transmitted demon. Yep, that's the whole premise. And I know how it sounds. It sounds ridiculous. I hate describing to anyone who hasn't seen this movie any detail of the plot, since it's a hard sell in that regard. And yet... It Follows is a shockingly popular film. It debuted at the Cannes Film Festival in 2014, saw a limited uh, theatrical release in the UK, France, and the US, and it grossed about $23 million. It's nothing to take lightly in that regard. It's also been available on Netflix for several years. It has a 90-plus percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes and has racked up critical acclaim from The A.V. Club, Vice, The Daily Telegraph, really anywhere it's been covered. But that doesn't say anything, really, does it? A lot of movies end up winning awards and making money that I personally don't care about. Slumdog Millionaire won tons of awards, remember? Does nothing for me, though. Now, maybe I'm just not hip to the good Bollywood horror scene. By the way, dear audience, do you know of any good Bollywood horror joints? If you do, email us, the Fright Lab podcast at gmail.com to clue us in. Joe, where was I? This film
1: is easily spoiled if you read anything about the plot. This is one of those classic horror gems that horror fans can show to anyone. And all you need to know is the rules of the big bad thing. In this case, I remember when my friend Mike told me about this film. And it was a two-sentence explanation. And I'm not going to do it justice here, but <laughs> it's about a thing, and it's chasing you. And the way that you get the thing to stop chasing you is have sex with someone. And then down the line, down the line, down the line. It sounded like a rejected Freddy Krueger plot that was just taken the wrong way. Or I guess they'd be more of a Jason plot. You know, that. I
0: hadn't put that together until <laughs> just now. Wow, that's a really good point, actually.
1: <laughs> but it's a great concept because it's not overly complicated and it puts the protagonists in a situation how do we survive and how do we kill it it's very similar to one of my favorite horror i can't call it a franchise i don't even know what to call it but are you familiar with the scp foundation I am, actually. This is a rejected SCP, or this is an SCP that they made a movie about. I don't know which one, but it's a great concept, even though it's horrifying. Put people at their most vulnerable, and now guess what? Tag, you're it. You know, you could also describe this
0: as the world's worst game of Tag. I, I I'd never thought about that either. The the point that I think Joe's really getting at here is that the power of It Follows is not really in the plot so much. It Follows succeeds because of a masterful execution of individual parts. The film's creator, David Robert Mitchell, somehow tapped into something profound and dark with this one, and he did so by kind of masterfully executing all of the parameters of the film. Here's where we have to contrast this film for just a bit with The House of the Devil and its fixation on period-correct filmmaking. I asked a question in the beginning of this episode. What year does It Follows take place in? The answer is, in my estimation, that it doesn't take place at any time period at all, really. Most of the clues here are visual, but a good many are also in the construction of the film itself. For example, many of Jay's outfits in this movie are purely modern. Uh, Early on in the movie, she's wearing a brown boots and denim look uh, that That's so Midwest, current time period, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022. But then in the next section, she's wearing a dress, boots, and choker combo that is clearly a mid-90s look. Those of us who grew up in that generation know exactly what we're talking about that. I don't even need to describe it. There's another character in the movie, Greg. He's wearing this denim jacket with this kind of woolly collar I know I saw that in the 80s and 90s on a lot of the metalheads who were in my neighborhood. Another character, Yara, she dresses like half of the young women who I see in my neighborhood today. Again, we're recording this in 2023, in case this episode becomes horrendously dated. So then another thing, another visual cue about the years are the vehicles in the movie. Greg's car is anything but recent. Uh, Looks like it's maybe 1970s-ish. Uh, the cars in the opening of the film, though, in the literal opening sequence, are early-mid-2010s. Almost all of the TVs we see in this movie are old, and they're almost always showing black-and-white sci-fi from, like, the 1950s or so. And yet, Yara, the, the other character I referenced earlier, is reading Dostoyevsky on a purely fictionally designed e-reader. Okay, so what about the construction of the film? Well, some of the special effects are clearly modern, but this isn't a horror movie that's really relying on special effects so much. It's not especially gory. It's gruesome, granted, but it's not especially gory, and it's relying more on unsettling the viewer. The score was written and performed by an artist going by Disasterpiece, and it's a purely electronic score. And yet, being a purely electronic score, it doesn't sound like any era. It might be some 80s synths and like chiptune stuff, but it could also appear on like a Skinny Puppy ambient album. Man, does anybody remember that Skinny Puppy ambient album, Brap? Or is that just me?
1: Joe, did I ever play that for you? I am looking forward to the upcoming episode of Discography Discussion, where you and I dig deep into Skinny Puppy. No, I didn't forget. It's going to happen. Okay, good to know. So, back to the movie. The
0: cinematography in this movie is very sharp. And specific, but it never feels like you're watching this like hyperkinetic early 2000s thing or that sludgy slow panning 70s thing. Here's my thesis, and make of this what you will. In my estimation, it follows is happening all of the time. It's not Jay's story, really. It's our story. It follows is a story about absence and loss and trauma. And it's brought sharply to life using that concept of phantasmagoria, that word I love so much. By evoking a disconnected and displaced air, it follows, hypnotizes us, lulls us into accepting the insane logic and metaphysics of the film, and then proceeds to terrorize us with that logic and
1: metaphysics. Any good horror movie makes mistakes. There's jumps in logic, and I can only quote the fictionalized Ed Wood The audience isn't going to notice that. It's about the big picture. And once you see this movie, the first thing you're going to do is try to find holes in the rules and the logic. And I think you're right. It's happening all the time. The point is not, does it follows... That's hard to say. (laughs) Follow its own rules all the time. And the answer is, the rules change because the game changes. Because people start to become aware of it. And... It follows. I love calling the entity whatever it is, it follows, because I think that's really funny. Mm. Um, I'm going to make a case later on that there's some biblical connotations here, but I don't think that's a point. I think that's just a fun, I'm a fan of this movie thing to look at and say, well, what could it be? Because you don't know where it comes from, and that's one of the best pieces of a good villain or a good evil in a scary movie like this. You don't explain it. It's just there.
0: Well, you're hitting upon something that really struck me when I was beginning to write this episode and trying to verbalize my, my whole feelings about this movie. As I started thinking about this movie and how I wanted to present my ideas about it, I found myself looking to other reviewers and critics to discuss why I think this movie works the way it does. I watched and read probably a dozen different synopses of It Follows, and in many regards, I actually found myself mostly unable to disagree with any of the points presented by any of the following, you know, reviewers. For instance, in a video presented by uh, by a YouTuber known as Alpha Alpaca Pack, what a great name. (laughs) It's presented that It Follows subverts almost all of the genre tropes and expectations of horror, and I mostly agree with that. Once you've seen the movie, you understand what I mean. Uh, Another critic, Renegade Cut, who is a perennial favorite of mine, says that the movie has to deal with the process of aging, the inevitable march of time, and how it pushes us towards death. Renegade Cut also comments that there's a lot of long takes in the movie, moving a little slower than most modern films, not allowing us to look away from the suspense long enough. And, okay, yeah, I think that's a pretty good point, actually. Uh, The Film Formula Channel says that the passage of time is a theme, sure, but that it also has to do with the subjective passage of time, and when we stop looking forward and start looking back. Okay, yeah, I can buy that, sure. Or we can go with the Digging Deeper channel and how they say that it's about how the American dream is essentially dead. They argue that It Follows symbolizes how the millennial generation in this country was forced to deal with a batch of new realities while still being forced to manage like these hauntologies of their parents' generation. It's a heady argument, to be sure, and it's one that I think is kind of brilliant. Finally, the Film and Media Studies YouTube channel states this movie wields and subverts horror cinematography conventions. His argument is actually pretty profound, and I can't recommend it enough. As always, I'm going to put links to that in the show notes, and I strongly encourage you to all follow up with that after you you get finished with this episode and get done watching this movie, since they will certainly lead to all sorts of interesting discussions. The chronological ambiguity of this film, along with its phantasmagorical style, allows for a vast array of interpretations to be convincingly placed on top of its narrative. I don't know if that was David Robert Mitchell's intentions or not, but I suspect that it was designed to be mulled over and talked about after each viewing. I don't think you can really do that with movies like The House of the Devil, and that's not to take anything away from that movie, mind you. I still think it's really good, But I also think it's telling a definite story with hard parameters around every inch of its plot and aesthetic. On the other side, though, It Follows has loose, light parameters. They're rules, but they're not as heavy, I don't think. And in some places, I think it's mostly open-ended in terms of its story otherwise this movie is seemingly more than happy to steal from some other artists and then completely come out of left field with this new idea or visual
1: i mean can you think of any other horror movie that's so open to interpretation i can't think of one movie that stands out like it follows from the horror perspective until you start talking about surreal chinese or korean horror films where they start playing with imagery and expectations and Even though it's a remake, I think The Ring is an example of that, where as soon as you think you've got the rules figured out, they turn it just enough to remind you that this is not something that can simply be defeated. You have to find a way just to survive. And I do agree that it subverts a lot of the expectations with horror movies, because most of the time, the bad guy is defeated and the people survive. Or you get Wolf Creek where the people die and the evil guy gets away. It's either one or the other. It's never a situation like this where you don't really know and it's not the Freddy Krueger twist of, and he's still alive. No, you actually don't know by the time you get to the end of this movie if it's been defeated. And I think a lot of horror movies take a stand even the bad ones by the time you get to the end of it there's a stand on who the survivor is or who the victor is and this one doesn't do that it's not as clear and i think we're going to talk about the flow of the film here in a minute because by the time this film is over it's no longer a surreal you're being chased by something it's a straight up predator is trying to break into the house and murder your family
0: yeah, I think you can see it that way,
1: um, Joe. Have you ever heard of
0: the literary critique technique called the death of the author? Fill me in, Lucas. Okay. Essentially, death of the author posits that any detail about the author, such as um, when they lived and/or died, where where they lived, those sorts of details, you know, biographical details, should not and does not matter when you're talking about interpretation. Moreover, it argues that any intent set down by the creator, you know, when they were creating, be it a book, a movie, etc., that's also equally inconsequential. In a good many cases, I think this can be a valuable framework for viewing a lot of fiction. In a sense, when a creator releases their work into the world, they lose a large degree of control on how people can interpret or use the work. But I also see how Death of the Author can be used for some pretty nefarious ends, like excusing some pretty awful viewpoints espoused in pieces of literature and art. You know, for a while I had thought about navigating into the minefield that is the career of H.P. Lovecraft, and whether or not you can use Death of the Author to talk about his uh, admittedly really ugly viewpoints. That's for another day, and that day may or may not come. I I don't think we're getting at a Lovecraftian problem here, though. The director in my opinion, doesn't really give us enough context to work with either about their world or in the diegesis of this movie. Instead, I think it follows demands we apply our own critical viewpoint. This movie can be simply swallowed whole. It's a movie about a sexually transmitted disease, or you know, a sexually transmitted demon that brutally kills its recipients. And it's a pretty satisfying film in that light, you know? I enjoy a good mindfuck of a horror movie more than the average person. But I think that this movie is best handled in light of what it evokes in the individual. Uh, There's an author and commentator, Lindsay Ellis, who made a really smart video about death of the author. There will be, of course, a link to that video in the show notes to help explain that concept better than I possibly could. Uh, It's really thought-provoking. Ellis does a really good job of it, so You know, when we're done again, add that to your watch list. Growing up dead center of the American Midwest, I was really struck by the images of Detroit, Michigan in the decay that is just kind of shown throughout this whole movie. The formerly nice houses are crumbling and and the skeletal hulks of these former industrial sites. They were grand Now, they're just kind of something you live with if you live in Detroit or if you live in a city like St. Louis. I couldn't help but feel a pang of longing for another time when I saw the building that houses the swimming pool that they used for this movie. It reminds me of many of the old YMCA's that used to take up residence in my city. Uh, And those buildings are where I first learned to swim as a child. It also reminded me of the library I grew up in as a kid, which is still thankfully open. Uh, It's this beautiful kind of Romanesque structure. But I also can't ignore the way those former industrial powerhouses of the Midwest are mostly just mere shadows of their former selves, working hard to find new meaning and direction, you know? It follows tells an all too familiar story about the end of an era and what it does to a society as well as the individual impacts on the people in that society. But, you know, David Robert Mitchell wasn't making this movie for me, or at least I don't think he was. I'm not sure that he made a movie for one audience, really. I think Mitchell was intentionally leaving a door of interpretation open with It Follows, and I think we as an audience do a disservice to this sort of film by not taking a really long look at some of the more mysterious elements of this movie. For instance, why does the entity in this movie always wear white. My first thought was looking back at like Japanese mythology and cultures where white is typically only seen in funerary settings.
1: Am I right about that? No clue. That's just where my mind went first. That is an amazing point. In the first scene, they're sitting in the movie theater. He breaks it down for her. All right. I don't think he says it in the theater. Maybe I'm remembering it the way I remember it, but When she's tied to the chair, he's talking about you're going to see someone, you know, like a woman in red that's not supposed to be there. He doesn't say it'll always be wearing white. I wonder if that's on purpose or if that's just the way our protagonist sees it.
0: Maybe. I mean, I hadn't considered that maybe because we're kind of stuck to Jay's perspective. It's entirely possible that it's most its other victims saw it only wearing, I don't know, turquoise or something. Right. So that so that's, you know, okay, where's that going? No idea. All right. Another question. Where are the parents? All of the protagonists in this movie are basically kids. They're all barely college age. You would think most of them still living at home, their, their parents would be around, but man, in this movie, the parents are mostly missing. The few times you see anything of, of a parental unit, it's completely misframed, or they're kind of functionally irrelevant in the frame and therefore in the movie. I think maybe that's like a tiny commentary on the changing shape of family structure or maybe about the wildly high divorce rates in the U.S. But that is just me guessing. I have no idea definitely what's happening here. Okay, another thing. Jay's would-be boyfriend who transmits the entity to her. Well, where'd he get it? What's his deal? What's going on there? And could you view him as like just as much a victim as Jay? His actions in this movie are
1: pretty
0: hard to excuse. But man, how else would you handle the situation if you were him? So again, who passed it to him? Does it matter in an exegetic sense? Uh, in this movie, that benefits more from being you know things not being explained. Uh, I mean, do we just leave the details up to hauntology?
1: <sighs> man, I don't know. Why are you asking me? <laughs> so can, can we just talk about the movie? I know we don't usually go bit by bit, plot point by plot point, but this is one I think we need to spend some time digging into. The start of the movie is surprise. It's a thing. And I would question if she would be as afraid as she is in the very beginning. That first scene where she's tied to the chair, that could have just been a prank. I got my friend to come marching up the hill and the whole idea is to scare her And then you never see the same person or the same thing. By the time you get halfway through the movie, it's grabbing onto literally everyone else just trying to get to her. And by the end of the movie, they're all hyper aware that this thing exists. It almost looks annoyed that they all know it's there, but it never takes its eyes off the target. You know, I've heard a lot
0: of people say that this movie is just another like retro 80s pastiche kind of film. But I don't see that at all. I don't see that at all being a thing here. Right. It doesn't feel to me uh, either you know, visually or musically that it's stuck there. But one thing that maybe they're correct about. OK, so what is the one thing? What is the one thing that the entity does time and time again? It is walking in a straight line towards you forever. And when it gets to you, and it will get to you, it is going to murder the shit out of you in brutal, unimaginable ways. That sounds like every bad slasher villain from 1978 until today. It is. I, so what was uh, the director thinking of that? Man, shit, I don't know. Possibly. But there's so many little elements here that are so brilliant, right? You know, one of the things I love about this is how absolutely alienated everyone is in this movie. They're disconnected from their community. They're disconnected from their families. the And especially the entity is pushing them farther and farther away from anything of value, right? But note, and I, man, I, I got to say for our audience, I hate spoiling the, the end of a movie. I really do. But in the end, the only way that Jay makes it through this movie is by sticking together with her kind of like created family, that is to say her friends, and they come up with a way to at least temporarily slow down the monster. I hate to say it. But in the end, it's the power of friendship that saves them. <laughs> it is the most Scooby-Doo ending you could possibly have come up with without unmasking the monster and finding its old man, Jenkins, who runs the Haunted YMCA. But instead, it does this, again, this just masterful thing by, by, yeah, sure, they're, they're all alienated, and they defeat alienation by not allowing each other to be alienated. It's a really brilliant little thing. But also... Yes, you you get that ending, but you've got to get to that ending. Like one of the things another thing I love about this movie and I I've been thinking about this a lot is this is a cast of young hip people who are all, you know, prime of their youth, the 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 flowering of of their individuality. They are a beautiful lot of young adults. They 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 look great and it seems like they could all go far. Every incident of sex every incident of someone taking off their clothes is not at all sexual it's not even that it's clinical like in you know some sort of medical set, sense of the word but anytime someone is taking off their clothes there's just this just sickening dread that just pours over you where you go oh no like you would think for most people seeing you know someone who, who is dolled up quite frankly You would think they'd be like, oh, I I want to see this person in various stages of undress. Nope. Not with It Follows, you don't. Not with It Follows, you don't. I hate to use the sex and death Freudian metaphor here. And I know a lot of people have said that they view this movie as nothing more than an elaborate metaphor for AIDS. And I think, yeah, yeah, you could make that argument. I don't think it's a particularly interesting argument, but I think it's an absolutely accurate interpretation of the film. I think you can absolutely look at this movie as a an STI or just AIDS specifically sort of uh, metaphor. So yeah, there's just so many things happening in this movie, and every little moment is kind of held together with a metaphor, you know, a, a glue-like set of metaphors. But it's up to you to suss out what the metaphors are
1: themselves. I don't think you can stop there, though. I don't think you can just say, well, this is a metaphor for STDs. I don't know STDs that go back to the last person after (laughs) you've been defeated or murdered into absolute brutality. If anything, I think this movie is about what life's experiences, and I use this word very loosely, life's mistakes, how they make you feel for the remainder of your life. And it's like everyone is... Allowing the same dumb shit to occur Instead of saying just don't I know you've heard your parents You've heard everyone say Just don't do that It's a bad idea You're gonna regret it later on in life And we still fucking did it At some point somebody just needs to stand up and say No no I'm serious Like just let it go Because what happens Let's say it follows Like you said it's been going on for years It's not one time period on purpose So if it's been going on for years, then at what point do we just stand up and say, no more sex? (laughs) Everyone, if, if because this is the plot of the sequel, right? We turn it into some strange, like the town is going to win the battle. I'm not (laughs) quoting Halloween Kills. Don't get me wrong. But we just go in the middle of the stadium and say, if you are being followed, come here. We're all going to let it kill us. And then Everything's good. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you could do it that way. I guess. Welcome to the '80s sequel, where it becomes an
0: action movie. Uh, So, but here's the thing, right? Okay, we you could absolutely say that. I, you know, I've even thought that about this movie. Is okay, simple solution. This, uh, you know, this this sex demon kills its way back up the chain to the final to the first person that caused it. However, that would be. I don't know, and is that person even still alive? But let's assume for a minute they are. Okay, they find this person in a nursing home somewhere, kill them in some incredibly unpleasant way. Well, then what does does the sexually transmitted disease demon metaphor thing go get a job at Starbucks? I mean, what what's it what? We never stop to think about the feelings of sexually transmitted demons. Okay, we never stop to think about them. And I think maybe it's time we do. Okay, I don't know where I'm going with this joke. Um, better than where I was going with it. I was going to say, then happens.
1: <laughs> I can't leave that in the show. You have that, to cut. That you, is a line that I cannot cross. You
0: have to cut that out. Don't Jesus worry, I'm going Christ.
1: to. Because <laughs> that's what happens, right? The old guy's in the bed. He's like, I knew you'd come for me. And then he dies. And then the nurse comes in and goes, hmm. <laughs> I've taken this movie in a terrible direction.
0: How did we get this far?
1: Off track? Can we get back on track? As a, you're at, "It Follows" maybe the best puzzle box film. Like, do we need to make a Hellraiser joke here? Okay, real quick. How 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 long has this recording gone
0: on? Would you like to know? <laughs> yes. Lucas is desperate. Jesus fuck. Okay. Good thing we're gonna cut about five minutes out of this. No, okay, that's, that's what you think. Okay, so "It Follows" is maybe the best puzzle box film of this generation thus far. It runs circles around most things in the horror genre, and it never once falls back on philosophical pretensions. I will die on the hill of this movie being an absolute game-changer in the world of horror. And I am not a person who agrees with a lot of critics. But I think this movie stands wholly on its own. It is wholly unique. But that leads me to ask, what do you think? Is It Follows the absolute masterpiece I think it is? Or... Is it just another part of the canon of modern horror? Is this movie just another entry in the elevated horror argument? Or is it even too pedestrian for all of that? And don't worry, dear listener. We're going to be talking about elevated horror in the next episode. Or is it possible that I am, as always, merely indulging in my own particular artistic mania here? You need to let us know. You can email us at the fright lab podcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter, provided Twitter has not died its final death and gasped. You can follow us there at fright underscore lab underscore pod. We've also recently started a Letterboxd account. For those of you who know what Letterboxd is, it needs no further explanation, but I'm willing to bet some of you don't. Letterboxd is an app for you can download for your mobile phone. You can put it on iOS or Android. And you can use Letterboxd to track all of the movies you watch, write quick reviews so others can read them. It's a lot of fun. And we're not being paid by Letterboxd, by the way. It's just a fun app, and it's cool. You can give that a follow, and you can kind of get some insight on what's going on in our creative world. We just go under the name Fright Lab Pod. That's all one word. I will be posting movies there personally that I'm also watching, just stuff I'm watching in my free time, if you're curious about that sort of thing. Joseph Wren. Yes, sir. Would you care to kindly let our audience know what you're up to these days and where they can find your work?
1: I need to know before I do that. Take a stand, Lucas. Is it defeated at the end of the movie? Oh, you know,
0: I prefer to think that either A, it's defeated. They finally got this thing under control or they've just slowed it down so much that they're not
1: going to have to run for a while yet. I think she did what she did at the end of the movie just to make sure. Oh man, that is a dark ending. I like that. I if like that. you are a fan of dark endings and you love heavy metal music and all things hard rock, black metal, doom and gloom, whatever your favorite music is. I want to tell you about all the podcasts we're creating at DiscussMetal.com where we talk about heavy bands. We talk about the satanic panic. We have discussions about dark subjects in music, but it's not all dark, right? Sometimes there's some hard rock. Sometimes you want to listen to Motley Crue. We talk about all the bands, your favorites, our favorites. But what I want you to do right now In whatever app you're listening to this podcast, I want you to leave a five-star review. I want you to leave a thumbs up. I want you to tell everyone how much you love the Fright Lab because we love making the Fright Lab and we want to hear from you. Lucas said it earlier, the Fright Lab podcast at gmail.com where we want to hear from you. And if you're the kind of person that likes to make scary sounds on the internet, we want to hear those scary sounds. And if you'll let us, we want to play them on the show. Lucas, tell everybody how much we love independent media. You know, as podcasters,
0: one of the things you grow to accept is that independent media is still a viable, powerful thing in in our world. Movies like It Follows don't get made by major studios because they just take a massive loss. A lot of the best horror films that you're going to find come out from under the radar and require you to look a little bit. We love independent media. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. So, like Joe said, if you're making music that's tangentially horror-related, directly horror-related. We wanna play you guys on the air. We wanna give everyone the attention they deserve for their hard work. And on a totally personal note, um, we're recording this episode in January of 2023, the very beginning of the year. Uh, the Fright Lab's been live now since October, 2022, despite some you know previous work on it. For a show with no ads, or a network supporting us, I'm absolutely delighted by the positive comments we've heard from our listeners. And personally, I appreciate every single download or listen. And with that, we bid you all a good night. Please stay tuned, as we're going to have a new episode coming your way soon.
1: You're right. The answer is, they don't have enough money to be consistent. But from a filmmaking perspective, the way there isn't really a single time and place I wonder if they're trying to pick on all the tropes you know that's that like let's say you were a teenager in the 70s this is what was going to scare you or get your attention oh you're you're a teenager in the 80s this is what's going to scare you and get your attention that's why the sex has to happen in the back of a car because that's the trope yeah yeah that's true
0: I think the best explanation I ever heard for a, a horror movie once was uh, was a Cracked article. And they were talking about uh, you're, you know, the, the horror movie monster that scares you and why. And uh, it, it got to Hellraiser where it said, you know, you're scared of weird sex. Okay, fine. But the final item on the list was The Thing from John Carpenter's The Thing. And it was, what this means you're scared of. You're scared of weird, freaky shit. Sometimes, you know, again, a cigar is just a cigar. And sometimes a sexually transmitted disease... Well, no. In this case, it's just a sexually transmitted demon. What I'm saying is sexually transmitted demons are
1: a lot like cigars. I think. There's another scenario if you want to get hyper-religious about it and explain it. This creature is the angel of death, and it just has not stopped killing people. Yeah, but the angel of death is just a functionary. It's just doing its job. That just tells me that the roster
0: is a little heavy and it needs to start outsourcing.
1: Right, but this one is really pissed off that people are still <laughs> fucking before they get married, Lucas. Oh, it's always like the- I am like you don't I am like the ending the ending when they're in the pool and he's and he's looking at her. Like, that face. I am just so pissed off. You are going to fucking die. (laughs) I kind of
0: wonder, because they injure the demon a bunch of times, right? If every time it hits the ground and the first thought it has is,
1: son of a bitch. We didn't talk about it during the show, but I've heard this movie criticized for, is it a demon or is it an entity? Is it all in your head? And it's. Like a psychosis that everyone is sharing. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, it's a physical thing that if it bleeds, we can kill it. But I think that's it finding a way to get to the person. It's like playing possum it's trying, it's a predator like thing that's trying to suss out how do I get close enough to you to kill you? It it starts off walking really slow. You know, I'm inconsequential. You don't know I am who I am, but I'm trying to get your attention. If I can get my hands on you, you're going to die. And by the end, nope, I'm evil thing that is coming for you. And it doesn't matter how much you kill me. I'm going to come for you.
0: I mean, I think impending death is always going to be read that way, though, right? Like, sure, the anvil that fell off the building that crushed you, that anvil didn't wake up this morning and go... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, the anvil just fell off the building But if you're standing underneath that anvil When it hits you Boy, you're going to think that thing had, had had it fucking out for you